right, well, welcome again, everyone. Uh, this morning, uh, welcome again, everyone who's follow, watching us online, is joining in. Uh, I do hope you've been following what's been happening in space lately uh, with the James Webb Telescope. Uh, this morning I said it was, re going to re it was replacing the Hubble. I was promptly corrected uh, by someone whose son is an astrophysicist that it is not replacing the Hubble, it is augmenting the Hubble. And it is true, they are actually kind of pointing at the same things. If you look it up, you can get a picture. This is what the Hubble looks at it. This is when Webb looks at it. It's much clearer when Webb looks at it. Uh, but the James Webb Telescope, there it is. Um, up there, it's kind of an amazing thing. They, they had that thing packed in a rocket, and it came up, and it kind of unfolded like one of those picture books, you know, that you get on Christmas, you know, that, that unfolds, um, or kind of like a giant Ikea set, uh, $50 billion Ikea set. Um, but the pictures have been absolutely amazing. If we can get the, that slideshow again, Jimmy. The pictures are absolutely amazing that are coming out. And there's just incredible amount of data that's coming in. It's, it's kind of like we always knew it. A lot of this stuff, you know, you can, we know it theoretically, we know it mathematically, that we know that uh, there's all these massive numbers of stars. When you start seeing it, it just becomes that much more mind-boggling. You know, when you think of like a galaxy has got what? Two to four hundred billion stars. You know, and you put a few billion galaxies together and that becomes a galaxy cluster. You put a bunch of galaxy clusters and they cluster together in bubbles. And then you start going, wait, how many billions is that? And now you're doing math to the powers. And I hated doing math to the powers. Um, you know, something to the 10 zeros times something to 11 ones. Ah, God bless those who can do math to the powers. My brain just can't really fathom all that. I would hope, I would hope that looking into the stars and looking out there would fill all of us with a real sense of awe and wonder at the beauty of God's creation and God's majesty. I don't look out in the stars and feel like uh, there is no God. I look out in the stars and I feel like there has to be a God. This is way too much uh, for, to be an accident. But it also feels in me an, a, a desire to learn more about it, uh, to go deeper in my own knowledge as much as my little brain can comprehend. And now, of course, we know in history, the relationship between the church and astronomers has not always been a good one, right? Uh, you know the story. They teach it in school. Uh, the science teachers teach it religiously slash non-religiously. You know, they, they, they repeat that story at the beginning of every astronomy class, how Galileo, you know, how we used to believe, step back, we used to believe the sun revolved around the earth, and then Galileo took out his telescope and looked up, and he did his calculations, and realized, nope, it's the other way around, right? Earth revolves around the sun. And, um, so what, and so he figured out something, and what should have just been a simple case of, oh, yeah, that's interesting. I guess we'll have to revise our textbooks now. Uh, turned into the Roman Catholic Church excommunicating Galileo and telling him to take it back. Like, you can take back what you see in a telescope, right? Like, it works that way. Um, and they tell this story over and over, and, and I think some, some teachers will make, try to get that little dig in there to let you know that whether they explicitly say that or not, see, it's those stupid religious people who are scared of the truth. They don't like learning and knowledge. If you want to be a scientific person, 
don't get involved in that narrow-minded religion stuff, right? And the truth is, if, it, if you're talking about Pope Urban VII, I know he's your favorite of the Urbans, right? There's Urban VI, there was his country cousin, um, Rural IV, his, his wealthy cousin, Suburban the, the, the 18th. But Pope Urban VII, he was the pope who excommunicated Galileo. Um, that guy was corrupt, he was a political figure, terribly unspiritual, he rose to the top through Machiavellian techniques, not through prayer, uh, nothing like Francis who we have today. And I will say, to be fair, the Catholic Church, somewhere in the 20th century, unexcommunicated Galileo. So if you believe that the Pope has the power to send people to hell, then I guess somewhere in the 20th century, you know, they had to stop, Mephistopheles had to stop by and hand Galileo his papers and send him up the steps. Um, but a lot has changed, right? And so to be fair, a lot has changed. It, today, the Catholic Church actually runs an observatory. Um, so things are a little bit different. But you do have to wonder, uh, you know, you do have to wonder why, right? I mean, the Bible doesn't say which planets revolve around which planets. Uh, it doesn't say what orbits what. It doesn't say the shape of the Earth. It doesn't say how old the Earth is. It doesn't say how many stars there are. Why the fear? Why, why was there this fear? Why is there still this fear among many? Because if you look at the Bible, it actually says some really cool things about the universe, even though it was written by people who didn't have access to telescopes. Let's look at Hebrews 11 here. It was the verse I was talking to the kids about, right? By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Just think of that. What is seen was made from things that are not visible. How in the world did the writer of Hebrews know this? Because he got it right. Whatever those things were, somewhere he had that sense that the world that we experience and we live in is made by God of things that we do not see. And notice how he says worlds, worlds. Somehow Urban Seventh wanted the, everyone to believe that there was really only one world and it was Earth. But that isn't what the Bible said. It wasn't like Urban Seventh didn't have access to one. It says the worlds were prepared. How could that writer have known? I mean, he's right, right? It, Particles, things, dark matter, as my son explained to you. In fact, most of the universe, if the dark matter thing is correct, 85% of the universe is made up of something we can't even observe. We can only see its effects. The building blocks of everything is things not seen. Most of what exists cannot be seen. It's like the person who wrote the book of Hebrews knew that we didn't know it all and we didn't have all the answers and we couldn't observe everything. And he wanted to remind us of that. Keep us humble. Instead of saying, the universe is made in this particular way and anyone who agree, thinks differently is wrong, shut up, kids, and quit asking questions. That's not what the Bible says. 
And, um, and if there's stuff we don't know, why are we afraid to just sit and allow our minds to soak in the awe and wonder of it all? Right? Now, there's a reason, but it doesn't have to do with the Bible itself. It has to do with how we look for answers and how we see faith. Is faith a set of answers and rules that you stick to? Kind of like that Colin Ray song. I only know like four or five country songs, but this one I quote all the time. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Go back to 1984, look it up. The video's awesome. Giant hair, acid wash jeans. And uh, the basic gist of it is the guy, he, he's getting in trouble, getting in trouble because he's, you know, flirting with girls at the townie bar, and the girlfriend figures it out, and he comes up with a lame excuse, and she totally calls him on his lame excuse, and he decides that instead of admitting it, he's just going to stick to his story. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I'm sticking to it. Right? And uh, uh, is, is that how you see faith? I think many people do. That's how they see faith. It's a story. I'm sticking to it. The answers have been found. The truth has been found. The doctrine has been found. Check, 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 check. The only question now is how do I obey it? If, if your faith is that, then there's nothing more to learn. There's no awe. There's no wonder. There's no things unseen or unexplored. There's no real purpose in searching for answers. And there's no ability, if that's how you view things, to update your thinking with new discoveries. There's no ability to change and revise things with new information. Because if you change it, you're kind of implying that maybe it wasn't perfect in the first place. And, and if your understanding is that, that these things are, are, that what is true is unchanging, if that's what you believe, then if you change it, you're implying it wasn't true. And then this creates an anxiety. Well, if that can change, is anything I know certain and true? Am I all, is it all just sinking sand, shifting around? If that's my faith, then every time something new comes up, and I gotta be kinda leery. I don't wanna cave to the culture. If your faith is like this, where it's absolutes and rigid stances, then we've lost the awe and the wonder and the mystery that the Bible itself tells us we should have as part of our faith. The writer of Hebrews, point blank, is telling us we don't have all the answers, we don't know it all, we can't see it all, but yet knowing that does not in any way weaken our faith or prove that God does not exist. It's supposed to inspire us to faith. But when faith becomes rigid, then anything that might push us a little bit deeper can become a scene as a threat, not an opportunity. So I always go back to this analogy of how we see our Christian faith. Is your faith a castle or a journey? I went to the graphics department once again. If it's a castle... Faith's like a castle. It's got high walls. It's protected. They don't change. They keep out the bad things in the culture, wherever. It feels safe inside the castle, right? But, you know, castles are kind of a tentative safety, 
right? A castle is only as safe as its walls are thick and your food supply lasts, right? Anyone who's ever watched Game of Thrones learns that. And you learn a few other things, too, that I can't repeat on a Sunday morning in church. But that's the point of a castle. It's safety by keeping the outsiders out. And it gives you a sense of certainty, but it's a, it's a rigid, but it's a fragile sense of certainty. And, and if your faith is like that castle, in a world where everything is constantly changing, where our understandings of things as basic as marriage and family and human sexuality, these things, our understandings with science and sociology and culture have changed and changed, and what, what can we do? Instead of just having to say, hmm, that's interesting. So it's good to have some new information on this. Maybe we should update our stances a little bit. Maybe, maybe, there's some new, maybe there's some new data that says that our old rules and policies maybe weren't quite right. Maybe we should tweak it a little bit because we got some new information. Hmm. Or we could just go, Bible says, Bible says, Bible says, I ain't hearing anymore. Castle. Pull up the drawbridge, lock the bolts, I ain't moving. It'll be what it'll be. When you do that, you're doing just what Urban VII did. You're doing the exact same thing. You're making faith a castle. The other way is to look at your faith like a journey, like a road trip. You know where you are. You know who's with you, right? The Lord is with us on our trip. But you don't know the end. You can't even see it. It's all open. It's all open. It's both mysterious and exciting. It's scary, but it could be really great. But you know who's with you? You know Jesus is with you. This is what the writer of Hebrews he even says when talking about what faith is. He describes the model of faith as Abraham. Good old father Abraham. Abraham who lived in Sumeria. It's now Iraq. It was the most developed, most built up empire in the world at its time. It had the biggest castles, the tallest pyramids, the highest walls. They, they, they were a civilization way above everybody else. And God tells Abraham in this in behind his walls, I, Abraham, grab your family, grab your, your livestock, grab your extended family, your servants, everybody. Pack them all up. I'm going to take you somewhere you've never been, you've never seen, you don't know what it's like, you don't know who's there, and you don't know how it's going to come out. Just trust me, I got you. What does it say? Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a long time in the land he'd been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Listen to that. By faith, he ventured out not knowing where he was going. Faith was not about having the answer. It was trusting God when you don't have the answer. Abraham wasn't defending his home. He was moving to a new one without knowing what it would be like. 
Faith is a journey with God into the unknown, a search to discover things that are not visible. It's not about having answers and defending them. It's, it's about searching for the truths and the mysteries of God. It doesn't mean we as a church don't believe things. We have our beliefs. We have our things that we stand on. If you want to read it, it's a red book. It's about this thick, and it will cure your insomnia. But I'll gladly loan you a copy. It's there. We have beliefs. We're not wishy-washy on everything, but we also understand that there's a lot we just don't know, and we're not against updating if need be. The scientific attitude, it's not very castle-like when you think of it. You know, it's like you get, you know, what you do is you, you gather information and then you create the best possible theory with the best information that you have, but you do understand that new data might make you revise what you just learned, and so there's always a tentativeness to it. And that tentativeness always can create if you, a little bit of anxiety if you're somebody who has to have un, your truth be unchanging. And, and it, it can be a little bit unnerving. If your sense of faith, though, is a journey with Jesus into the unknown, into the things that have not seen, then you're saying, look, we found something new we haven't seen. Let's update. This is awesome. The sad irony is the Bible itself does not claim to be a set of infallible rules that never changes. Even God's laws that he gives, that, that it says were given to Moses, get changed two, three, four times. You know, God tells uh, Moses to do animal sacrifices. There's a lot of the Bible on animal sacrifices. And then we get to the prophets, and it's like, I abhor your sacrifices. What? God's changing his own rules. And then you get to Jesus. Ooh, where's Jesus going to stand on this? He's like, no, I'm with the prophets. I want mercy, not sacrifice. And while I'm at it, we're going to get rid of stoning, and we're going to get rid of some of the food laws, and we're going to get rid of some of the laws about touching people, you know, and uh, uh, gosh, I thought these were God's laws. If Jesus can update the law, now I don't pretend to be Jesus, but his understanding is not that, was not that rigid. And I, I kind of trust Jesus' judgment on these things. If, if the, and that's the, sort of the sad irony, is the Bible never pretended to be, as infa, to be rigid and infallible in the way so many people claim. It changes through people's experiences and experiences of God and, and through the inspirations that God gives over time. And Jesus comes and tells us to change our course now and then. And no one would say Jesus is caving to culture when he got rid of stoning. We're happy he changed things. I am. I don't want to do animal sacrifices. I don't have to sit down with the council and increase my budget for goats for this month. We're going to have to cut back on the live streaming. We need more goats. You know, and we need, to get, we need to get some plastic wrap for the altar up there, because while I'm slaughtering it and sprinkling the blood around, you read it. It's in the book. But he had a different view of faith. His faith wasn't a rock. It wasn't a castle to keep out the scary others. It was a journey with God to be ever more faithful, more loving, more godlike, moving us into the unknown, trusting that God would guide us, and doing that without fear. Let me leave you again with Hebrews 11. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God 
so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Amen.